I want to take a moment to um, just kind of express my appreciation for this house and for the people in this house. Um, I've been here for the last two years, kind of, uh, almost two years, and and this has really become a home and a sanctuary for me. Um, it's become a, a place of, of refuge and a place of um, of just encounter after encounter. And so being up here speaking to the people that have been mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to me is more than I could ever express how, how appreciative I am of that and how honored I am. So thank you, um, the staff and to leadership, John and Janelle and Mark and Teresa, Jenny, um, and Carlos, and for just allowing me to come up here and share my heart tonight. Um, yes. So I said I was bringing a surprise guest, and so this is my friend Christian. He is going to be playing the keys while I speak tonight. Um, for me, I know I personally learn better when I have music, and so and I, I retain things better. So I really wanted him here, and I believe that he's going to release some things tonight, um, as well as my teaching. So. Yay for Christian. <laughs> um, I know they just got through praying, but I'm going to go ahead and pray again, and then we're going to get started. So, Lord, thank you for this night, God. God, thank you for the message that you've put on my heart, Lord. Um, God, I ask right now that you would be present in this room. God, that we would be aware of your presence. God, that we would feel you tangibly in here with us, Lord. I ask that as I speak tonight, the words be straight from your heart and from your mouth, Lord. God, I ask that... Um, Eyes be open and, and hearts be open to receive. God, I ask that whatever it is that you want um, to happen tonight, Lord, let it be done. God, I, I have a, a plan, but your plans are always greater. So, Lord, if you want to go a different direction, amen. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We bless you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so yeah, like Mark said tonight, I want to talk to you about something that the Lord has put on my heart over the past several months very deeply, and that is the idea of sonship. And so I'm going to talk about sonship, and I, you can replace it with daughter if you're not a male, <laughs> obviously. I think that goes without saying, but um, so I'm going to kind of dive into that idea. Um, and so there's many different ways to think of sonship. You can think of the father and us as his son or his daughter. And you can think of sons and daughters and birth mothers and fathers. But what I really want to emphasize tonight is the necessity for us to be sons, spiritual sons to spiritual mothers and fathers. Um, I think there is a very important role that we have in the body to raise up others. Um, and I think intimacy with the Lord is absolutely the most beautiful thing, but he uses others, and we can't miss that. Um, so yeah, so my hope is tonight I'm going to share a little bit of my story of learning to become a son here at the House of Prayer. And I want to give you some points that I've learned to be helpful along the journey. Um, hopefully that you'll receive eyes and hearts of sons and daughters. So uh, the first slide I'm going to put up. What is spiritual sonship? And why do we need it? Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery bringing you into fear again, 
but you have received a spirit of sonship. Another version says adoption. By which we cry, Abba, Father. Um, So here we see that there is a spirit of sonship. This is different than the Holy Spirit that lives within us. When you're a believer, I believe that you can live with an orphan spirit that prevents you from walking in the fullness of your identity. The orphan spirit is probably one of the greatest curses on the earth today. The orphan spirit operates in insecurity. It operates in jealousy. It operates in competition and in strife and in anger. It operates in lack of self-esteem. And to make matters worse, um, as much as there's a, a spiritual epidemic of fatherlessness and orphanism, there's also a very real and natural aspect in our society and in our culture of fatherlessness. We often see the breakup of, of families, whether it be from divorce, whether it be from um, death, whether it be from crime, whether it be a family member is just not emotionally engaged. There's oftentimes in, in our society today that we see conditions of people who are not getting the father and mothers that they need in their lives. So, and sometimes even when parents are there and, and mothers and fathers are there, they just don't know. They don't know how vital it is to pour into the destiny of sons and daughters. So we discover that there's many reasons for the need for spiritual sonship to make things right and to bring balance. So kind of identifying a spiritual father. A spiritual father is one who's positioned in your life to have special relevance for you to gain spiritual identity, for you to attain a passion spiritually that they've helped cultivate in your life. Only when a person is healed of fatherlessness through the love of God is the orphan spirit broken so that they can enter the process of becoming mature sons and daughters. Um, you can go to the next slide. It's just a few verses later. It's Roman eight nineteen. It says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now notice this doesn't say that believers are waiting in expectation. It says creation. This issue is an issue that is is so great that even the world outside of the body of Christ knows that there's a problem. It's not, you know, we have issues in the church that we disagree on and and the world has their own views, but we can agree that fatherlessness is an epidemic. We can agree that creation is crying out for children to be made. So in kind of preparing for this, um, I went on Google. It really didn't take long, but I kind of looked up some, some uh, secular mentorship programs here in this city. And I was just curious what, like how, how of the same mindset are we on this issue? And so I'm going to not name a name, but I'm going to read a description of one of these websites from a, um, a non-Christian mentoring program for fatherless children. It says, our, va- our value is to challenge mentees to take risks, facilitating their growth by focusing on their total development, sharing resources and networks, conversing and educating them on specific issues, and fostering learning through coaching them on particular skills through expertise of the mentor. We will meet weekly with a variety of activities to do so. 
for me, that blew my mind that I was like, holy cow, this is what we need to be doing in the body. We need to have people who are going to cover particular skills with sons and daughters. We need people who are going to meet weekly. We need people who are going to pour into lives and, and have, have the mentees take risks. We need fathers and mothers. But in order to do so, we have to learn how to be sons and daughters to receive that when it comes. We as believers miss out on all these things. When we don't have fathers and mothers and we haven't postured ourselves to be sons and daughters. So now that I've kind of laid a a framework of what sonship is, I'm going to share a little bit of my experience of coming to the house of prayer and and how this kind of applies for me. Um, I should not tilt that backwards. It's going to fall. Sorry. So just a little bit of background. Um, I came to know the Lord. Um. in the summer of my eighth grade, going into ninth grade year of high school, um, my home growing up was a little chaotic. There was, there was drug abuse and there was alcoholism. And uh, my parents divorced when I was young. And so I grew up with my mother um, for a good majority of my childhood. And in the process, honoring my mother the best I can. And I love her genuinely. And I do, truly do honor her. But because of the situation, it led to some instability. We would move around a lot. We would move every six months for a solid three years almost that we moved every six months. I changed schools I don't know how many times, and churches were a whole other story. I don't think I've been in one up to this point for, like, longer than six months. Um, so, although I became a believer in the ninth grade, I spent my high school years— as a believer, under the spirit of adoption and the spirit of orphanism, excuse me. Um, Because of that, I sought out identity through my efforts. I joined a swim team and I I quickly became um, MVP, not to brag. (laughs) Um, I was class president. I can tell you all the good things. Um, But all these things that I did came out of a place of trying to seek approval. Granted, I was a believer, but there was something in my heart that longed for someone to notice me. It was something in my heart crying out for more. I had a relationship with God, but for me, there was something missing. Um, So I'm going to fast forward for the sake of time and, and staying on subject. So senior year of high school, my youth pastor, Leo Alves, and some of you might know him, He's an awesome, yeah, he's an awesome guy. He's around, well, he's not here. He just moved to Minnesota with his wife. But he was really involved with the House of Prayer. He studied at the International House of Prayer University. Um, Are you good? (laughs) Thank you. Um, So uh, he finally one day, after I kind of started to build this relationship with him, he said, hey, man, why don't you come out with me to the House of Prayer? And I was like, okay, sure. Um, I remember with Leo, there was something about the way that he talked about Jesus that I never understood. I didn't get it. I was like, how do you talk about him like that? How do you read scripture and actually like your countenance changes? How do you get life from this walk? And so he invited me to the house of prayer and I was like, well, if you go there, I want that. So I'm going to go there. 
Um, so I ended up coming out to the house of prayer in about October of 2014. Excuse me. Um, and I remember one of the very first times I came in, um, I walked into the cafe and there was a guy behind the counter and he kind of like eyeballed me really funny. And he was like, Hey, you come here. And I was like, okay. And so it's a little bit more stern with that. He's like, Hey, come here. Um, so he starts asking me all these questions about my life and he starts asking me about my dreams and my aspirations and my hopes. And I remember being like, who the heck is this guy? And why is he asking me about my life? And it's Mark Pollan, by the way, in case you didn't pick that, in case you didn't pick that up. Um, and then I remember my second thought was, why am I telling him this stuff? Why am I like opening up to him? And it was just weird. And long story short, by the end of the night, we actually go back into the office and we're talking and we're praying. And for the very first time, he prayed for me and I actually spoke in tongues and I actually prophesied too. And so I, this is like my first time here. I have no clue what's going on. But my thought is I came into this place and I had a walk with the Lord and something happened and I don't fully grasp it, but it caused me to jump. It caused my pace to, to shift, and it caused me to move with my walk. And so I didn't fully grasp it, but I was like, I want more of it. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come until I figure out what it is. So over the next several weeks, this place, this house, became a sort of jungle for me to explore freely my walk with the Lord. And there was places um, in that walk that were that were beautiful. There was places of, of freedom. There was places of rest. There was places of, of discovering facets of the Lord that I never knew existed. I watched people up here sing songs, and it looked like I could literally see something coming out of them and dancing in the atmosphere. I saw people get up here and pray, and sometimes they were yelling, and sometimes they were laughing, and sometimes they were crying, but every single time, it was with passion. And when I saw that, I said, I don't have that yet, but I want it. And so I came to this place where I said, okay, I'm going to get serious about this. I'm going to do what it takes. You know, I enjoyed riding the wake of other people's waves and the spirit, but I wanted my own wave. And I, I, can't, I can't live off of other people's waves. I can't, I can't live off of your revelation. So I, I had to come to a point where I said, all right, I'm ready to, for mine. Um, so that brings me to my first point. And you can put up the first slide. Sons and daughters must be eager. They must be eager for more. As we continue to talk about sonship, I want to look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy in the New Testament. It's one that's very dear to my heart. So we see Paul and Silas traveling in Acts 16. And the scripture says, in Acts 16, 1, 2, 3, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we see here 
that Paul wanted Timothy to come along. Timothy was already well-spoken of. He already had a reputation. In fact, one of the things that attracted Paul to Timothy was Timothy's knowledge of Judaism and of Hebrew scriptures and his connections through his Greek father and his reputation as a devout Christian, as a follower of Jesus and a lover of Jesus. So from the outside looking in, one could say, why would Timothy go with Paul? He's got it, he's got it set. I mean, he's got a reputation. He knows the word. He's good. But what I choose to believe is Timothy was not satisfied with what he had. He wanted more. He may have had answers. He may have had knowledge. He may have had scripture. But he knew when he saw Paul, there's something that he has that I want, and I'm going to go with him to get it. So sons must be eager in the same way that Timothy was. Now, I am not trying to say I was a Timothy. (laughs) I was not this well-respected, scripture-minded person. But what I did have was a hunger for more. And I think that that's something that we all have, but sons are intentional about it. Sons say, I, I kind of like to think of it as like this hiking trip. And so they see like this mountain that they're ready to climb. And they're like, oh man, I'm so ready to climb that mountain. Well, until you start to get prepared, until you get your gear, until you get your shoes, until you get the map, until you begin to pull this together and say, I'm going to make a plan, you're not going to get anywhere. So being eager is the process of getting ready. It's stirring up the excitement. It's stirring up intentionality. Um, and it's getting ready to start on this journey. So now I'm going to continue on. Um, so my, my walk ended up bringing me to committing to become an intercessory missionary here at the House of Prayer. So for those of you who, who don't know what that is, is it's basically someone who commits to being here a certain amount of hours a week. But as well as committing a certain amount of hours, it also is committing to come up under the leadership of the people who are here in place. And so at that time, um, the three kind of core leaders were Steve Strubing, who's in the back, and Teresa Heath and Mark Pullen. And so I was, remember, committing to saying, I want to learn under them. I want to heed their wisdom, and I want to follow Now, I had no clue what I was getting into when I signed up, Um, but that's okay. I was ready. And I made it my goal to create a heart posture ready to receive. And I think with that, the Lord blesses it and he honors it. So that brings me to my next point. That sons, being a son requires trust. So, I'm going back to that same scripture. I'm going to highlight one verse for you. It says, Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him to be circumcised. What? That requires trust, yes. And he took him to be circumcised because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that the father was a Greek. You took my joke. I was supposed to make this funny, by the way. So y'all are all going to have to laugh again in a minute. Just a heads up. So Timothy had been taught Old Testament scriptures. In other words, his Jewish mother raised him as a Jew. um, But because of his Greek father, he was not circumcised. And while it was not a matter of salvation for him, Paul described it, as we see, because of the Jews 
who were in those parts. Paul knew that the journey ahead for him and Timothy would require a testimony. It would require something that Timothy didn't have a grid for seeing yet. And so when Paul said, you need to be circumcised because there's a situation coming where it's going to give you a story, where it's going to give you a testimony. Timothy, already knowing that this isn't about salvation, it's about something, it's about a mindset. And so he said, and I'm sure it wasn't like, okay, let's go, ha-ha. But he trusted Timothy, and he had to trust, or he trusted Paul, and he had to trust that Paul's intentions were for good. So praise God that no one here ever made me go through anything like that. And amen. But I will say that there were things and there were situations when I came up under Steve that he said, hey, Stefan, here's a mindset that you have that needs to be cut out. And it's going to hurt, but down the road, it's going to be worth it. And there's going to be fruit that will come from this decision that you're making today. And like Timothy, I had to say, okay, I trust you. Okay. Yes, there were things that were hard. Um, Steve, just a, a few examples. There were times when, as a, as a young, broke college kid, when Steve challenged me financially to give to the Lord and fast. Those hurt. I don't know about it as bad as circumcision, but they hurt. Um, there were times, and sometimes it wasn't necessarily things that hurt. There were times when Teresa would, would challenge me to begin to pray in the Spirit. And it was uncomfortable. And it was awkward. And I didn't really know what was, what was going on. And I was like, I don't really see the point of this. I mean, I already have the Holy Spirit. I'm already, you know, me and God are pretty good right now. But I trusted her that there was something that was going to come down the road where I'm going to be more prepared. I'm going to be more equipped because I trusted you. There were times Mark challenged the way I love my family. There was times that I, I had in my mind these ways that I loved my mom and my dad. And I'll admit to them, there was a time when I said loving my, and I, I think I said this exactly, loving my dad and my mom right now means just not talking to them at all. And, and I'm not here to debate whether you believe that's true or not. But I'm here to say there was a challenge that Mark had to a mindset that I had, that I had to say, okay, I trust you. I don't agree. It's hard, but I trust you, and I'll, I'll work on it. And the fruit now with my parents, with my finances, with my walk with the Lord, are, they're at places that I could have never reached on my own through my own concepts and my own mindsets. So I grew in my heart during this time more than I ever had before. Um, so that's going to kind of bring me to my next point. So we have that sons are to be eager for more. Sons require trust. So the next one is sons must listen. So this is a little bit chunkier piece of text. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it. I'll give you a second to read it. Um, it's 1 Timothy 1, 2 through 7. Can we just appreciate Christian right now? <laughs> He's doing such a good job. I'll give you just a second to pull that open.
You can listen to this. You're all being good sons and daughters now. Um, so sons and daughters must listen. Sometimes being a son, being a daughter, requires work. It requires a lot on our part. It requires getting out of our comfort zone. It requires trust. It requires sacrifice. And other times, it requires us to simply listen. It requires us to listen. That's it. To sit and receive. When we posture ourselves ready to receive, ready to listen, the Lord honors by pouring out wisdom pouring out revelation, meeting every need that we have. Every question gets answered when we stop and listen. Paul and Timothy, they learned a lot through walking hand in hand and and the travel and, and the example that Paul was for Timothy. But eventually it came time for Timothy to separate from Paul. But Paul continued to write letters. So we're going to read this one. It says, 1 Timothy 1, 2 through 7 says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or what matters about which they make competent assertions. So there's a lot in there. But what I want you to see is that in this letter that Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy role is to receive. His role is to listen. His role is to take what Paul is giving. So in this letter, Paul gives Timothy direction. He says, stay in Ephesus. Paul gives him a warning. He says, pay no attention to myths and genealogies. Paul gives him encouragement. He says, my true and faithful child, peace and mercy from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, going on into the letters we're not going to read right now, but you can check it out for yourself. Um, Paul goes on to talk about the roles of men and women in church. He talks about deacons. He talks about elders. He talks about widows and apostasy. And he talks about all the things that a young pastor would need to know. So, what we see is that through being a son and being a daughter, we posture ourselves to hear And receive direction from those who are wise. And notice that Paul is giving the glory to the Lord. I think the Lord gives us discernment as sons and daughters who we let pour into our lives and who we let have direction. And that's a whole nother sermon. And so I think we're all pretty good with discernment for the most part here. So I'm not going to get into that. But I will say that as a son, his role was to listen to the direction that the spiritual father had for him and to heed it. So why do we need to listen? When we listen, we open ourselves up to new perspectives. Why do I listen to Mark? And why do I listen to Teresa? Why do I listen to Carlos? And why do I listen to Steve? That's because there's something in each one of them that I cannot produce on my own. There's a mindset that I can't see. I physically cannot 
think. I haven't been in their experiences. I haven't been in their shoes. I haven't walked their walk. But they have it. And as a son, as a daughter, I get to be a part of it. I get to come up under it through listening to them. One of my favorite people (laughs) to listen to, who I really, really respect and have much love, and I think she has a lot to offer as a mother in the faith. She doesn't know I'm doing this, so sorry. It's Anna Heath. <laughs> um, Anna, Anna and Teresa both, but Anna just got through facilitating this culture of honor class that we did here. It just wrapped up last night. Um, but if you got to be a part of that, you would know that listening to the words that Anna Heath has, there's something about it. There's something that when you hear it, it changes you. There's something about the intentionality, and not even just when she's teaching a class, but as a friend, getting to hear her heart, not asking questions, not pressing for certain things, but just hear what flows from the life within her gives life to me. The deep that is in her calls out, and my deep calls out. And I get to be a part of that just by listening to her. And she may never even know that I'm like secretly taking notes. She probably does actually. That I'm secretly taking these notes of quotes in my phone that I can look back on later and be like, Anna Heath on December 14th said this. And I'm just weeping at my house because of these things. But I say that to say that there's a a culture that we create in our own heart and our own lives that we get to step into as sons and daughters. And so for Anna, thank you just for the way you are, your heart and everything about you. Because it really does mean a lot for me. And I know from testimonies of this culture of honor class, there were broken relationships, family, like deep-rooted things that got fixed and repaired because they listened to Anna's words. And even just listening, it changed and it affected how they speak to others. And it changed a part of them and it gave them life in areas that they didn't have before just by listening Throughout scripture, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, we see that God speaks generationally. He speaks in a way that is meant, the sound of his words are meant to echo far beyond me. I think that there is this um, misconception in the body at times that we think the work that Jesus did is about me, myself, and I. Yes, the Lord would have come and he would have died for just me if that was the only option. But the thing is, his love is so much greater. His love is, is it, it calls out to generations. His story, his word in Anahi's heart is meant to be heard in the next generation, in the next generation. The words that, that you know, we hear these, these you know, great speakers speak, and, and, and we listen to podcasts, and we listen to teachings, and Mike Bickle, and, and all these incredible speakers and stuff, but it's not new stuff. It's stuff that has been passed on. It's stuff that we have partnered with. It's progressive revelation that was not a full download at one point in time that came through listening, through speaking, through saying, what do you have? Oh, wow, I have a new revelation on that. Let me give that one. And then the next person listens, and there's more and there's more and, it more, and this grand story begins to unfold if we can just sit and listen to it sometimes. I really just want to sit and listen to Christian. 
So my last kind of point, and I just kind of touched on it a little bit, is that sons and daughters must respond. I've been talking a lot about the receiving end of of being a son and being a daughter. Um, But the true test of sonship, I believe, comes in our response. It comes in what we do with what we've received. We know that the heart of the Father is to give. He gave his heart. He gave himself. He gave his son, Jesus. He gives spiritual gifts. He gives spiritual talents. He gives wisdom freely. And so as a daughter, as a son, with his spirit within us, we ought to be like that. We are, we are, there's something within us. And, and I love to use this kind of, and for myself, my own um, thing is, have you ever um, heard something and it's like a, a prophetic word that may be for yourself, or even it's just a teaching, and there's like that one little nugget that you heard of it. And then, you know, the next day down the road, you are talking with someone, and like that thing applies to them. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have the perfect word for you. And you give that to them. That's the heart of sons and daughters taking what they received and giving it. It, it goes in vain if we sit with it. It goes in vain if we do nothing with what we've received. So the next scripture, I think it's up there, yeah. First Timothy 4.12 says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. There came a point in Paul and Timothy's relationship when Paul says, it's your turn. You followed me. You've seen, I'm still going to be a father to you. I'm still going to write letters to you. You're always going to be a son. But now there's a, re- there's a response on your part. You have to be an example. You have to carry this on. Um, a few, it may have been months, it may have been weeks. I don't really remember at this point ago. Um, the IMs gathered together, and we went out and rented this little cabin, and, and it was a time of, of really praying about the future and, and just really getting to know one another on a deeper level and connecting hearts and connecting spirits. And um, it was such a, a beautiful time, and I'll never forget, if I tear up on this, I'm sorry, and Carlos, I'm sorry for throwing you another story of you in there, but... Um, Carlos and Natasha both came out there, and there was a moment when we were just sitting around the couches, all of us in there together, and Carlos and Natasha began to kind of share the history of this house of prayer. They began to share the history of their walk with the Lord, and, um, and just experiences of power, and experiences of authority, and experiences of struggles, and experiences of victory. And for me, I'm like sitting there in the back, and I'm like, yes, more God. I'm like, where's the, like... Okay, I'm, I'm stirring up this excitement and in my heart and in my framework of like, Carlos, Natasha, what's next? Like, what, what's the next thing to come? And so I kind of asked something to that effect. <laughs> and Natasha was like, this isn't our ministry anymore. It's not about us. It's about raising you up. And, and Carlos... Um, he, he echoed that. He said, this isn't my ministry. 
This is about us being fathers and mothers to you so that you can come up and be a mother and father one day. And for me, it shifted something as a son and as a daughter for me. It shifted seeing the house of prayer as their ministry that I got to tag along to something that I got to rise up in, to something that I got to take place in, that I got to have words of wisdom, that I got to have leadership. But not just with the house of prayer, it shifted something in my heart that said, man, whoa, I love spiritual moms and I love spiritual dads and brothers and sisters, but I have something to give. I have something that I can pour out. And, and it's really cool. Um, I'll kind of share it in just a minute. Um, but specifically, something that really touched my heart is that they said, is there's, they, they're passing the torch on to us. And so when we take this torch as sons and daughters, what are we to do with it? If we hold this, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. If we do nothing with it, there's no shine, there's no echo. And it does not mean that what Carlos and Natasha have done was in vain. It doesn't mean that it ends, but it means that there's something on my end that there could be more that I'm stopping. That I am creating a barrier because I choose not to pass that torch along. And there's beauty in, in receiving their thing for myself. I would love to do it all day long, but my heart can't do it. My heart sees the goodness of his experiences, and it has to continue it. My heart sees the victories he has, and the strength he has, and the life that Natasha lived, and it sees it, and it says, I have to show that. I have to. I, I, there's something in me. I can't fight it. And I think that as sons and daughters, we all have to do that. We all, and it looks different for each one of us. Responding is different. And in different seasons. And for me, my time at the House of Prayer, because that's what I've been talking about, it came as coming on to staff and having a role and having a, an, an outlet where I was able to give back. And I was able to, to pour into people more, more authoritatively and, and more um, with a mindset of, hey, I have, I have something to give you. And now... <laughs> That role is a little bit different, but I can take this whole season of learning to be a son. I get to take this whole and I get to move on to Texas, unfortunately. We get to move on to Texas and be, take what I've carried here as a son, as a daughter, and I get to take it with me. I believe that there is a restoration happening in the body of Christ where sons and fathers are being reunited. And Malachi speaks of it, um, where he says, he'll turn the hearts of fathers to sons and hearts of sons to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with destruction. The truth is, if we don't turn our hearts to be sons, if we don't turn our hearts to be fathers, we're setting ourselves up for destruction. We're setting our, our stories, our testimonies, we're setting it up with an expiration date. We're setting it up with barriers that, that can only be defeated when we submit and when we carry on stories. Um, I'm really lucky tonight to have my own father here. He's in the back, back there. You can stand. This is my dad. This is... 
I'm going to kind of end with this little, um, just a quick short story, because I kind of told you the, the mess in the beginning of being my, growing up in this home with my parents divorced. I didn't really live with my dad. I was fortunate enough, um, you know, I prayed for several years, like, God, I wish I had my dad. Lord, send me my dad. God, please just give me my dad. And so finally, he did. I moved in with him a few years ago. And I remember when I moved in with him, it was horrible. It was so bad. We fought every day. We, like, didn't talk. We, it was, it was miserable, if I'm honest. And, um, and I remember praying and being like, God, this isn't what I asked for. I asked for my dad. What's going on? I was like, Lord, I, I know you can't send me another one, but can we do something here? And I was with a friend, and we were in the car, and I was kind of complaining to him. And he, he just kind of looked over. I don't even think he realized the power in his words, but he said, don't you realize God answered your prayers? He gave you your dad. Why are you still praying about that? He already gave it to you. He already made the way. And in that moment, I began to not see myself as an orphan who lived with the man who birthed me, but as a son reunited with his father. My heart, yeah, you can clap to that, amen. My heart posture changed. I became eager to have a relationship. I became to the point where I had to trust him and build this relationship and work on things and learn who he was as a person and give him the place of a father in my life. Because it's one thing to say, I want a dad, here you are, but I'm not giving you that part of my heart. I'm not giving you that part of my life. But I did. And I listened to him. And here we are now, and I can honestly say that I love him. That the fruit of this journey of becoming a son is paid off. That we have a relationship now. But that's not just for that role. It, like I said, there's something deeper. It's, it's something the Lord is inviting us all into with spiritual mothers, with spiritual fathers. He's inviting us to turn our hearts, to restore relationships, to carry on the torch. And now that I'm moving to Texas, unfortunately, I keep saying that. It really is a good thing. I need to stop. But now that I'm moving to Texas, I don't stop being a son of my dad. I don't stop receiving. And spiritually, I'm not going to stop receiving from Steve. I'm not going to stop receiving from Carlos. I'm not going to stop receiving from Mark and Anna and, and all, Carlos and everybody here. There's so many names I could name. John and Janelle, by the way, I came like every time they were praying just so I could be under their prayers because I was like, Lord, you do something when they speak and I want it. <laughs> um, but anyways, so, so yeah, I'm going to continue on this journey as a son with opportunities to take what I carried and what I learned as a son and one day I'll father but I never have to pick one or the other. It's always an invitation to be both. To take what you receive and give it freely. That's the heart of a son. You learn how to receive and then you give. So I want to charge you with this. Receive well. The Lord the fact that you're in here in this room means you know of a place where there are spiritual mother and fathers. The fact that you're in this room means that there's opportunity for you. So I'm speaking to this crowd directly. Um, but the Lord has already made a way. We just have to posture our hearts now. We have to come under and be sons and be daughters. 
We have to do it ourselves. So I, I urge you, learn. Learn to trust. Learn to listen. Learn to be a daughter. Learn to be a son. Don't take for granted what you have, what relationship roles you have. The one thing I can say that if there's a regret in my time at the house of prayer, it's that I didn't receive more. It's times that I fell asleep in the prayer room <laughs> in the name of prayer, and I didn't receive from the opportunities I had here. But be eager. Be excited about being a son. Be excited about being a daughter. There's so much to it that the Lord has, and he's going to bless it. So I'm going to um, pray over us, if that's okay. I have the mic, so I guess I'll do it anyways. You don't have, if you don't like it, you can run out. <laughs> but I'm going to pray that, uh, and then I'll be done. Lord, I thank you that you're holy, God, that you're worthy. God, I thank you that we get to sit in this room and we get to be a part of your presence. God, I thank you that you're the perfect father, that you're the good father. God, I thank you that you've made us sons and daughters. God, I thank you that you've given us spiritual mothers and fathers. God, that you speak through your people and that we can listen and we can learn. That we can step into faith lines, that we can step into generational promises, that we can step into revelation. God, I ask right now that any orphan spirit here would be broken. God, I ask that your love would come in and create sons and daughters. It doesn't matter age, God. We can all be sons. We can all be daughters. So would you come and would you do that? Would you come and touch our hearts? Let us not leave this place the same, Lord. And we love you, Jesus. Lord, I bless this house. I bless these people in this room. God, I thank you that I got to be a part. That I got to be a son here. And that I learned what it meant to step into an identity. I learned what it meant to come under those who are your sons and your daughters. And now I get to take that out, Lord. Lord, I bless them for the time they poured into me. I bless them for all the times they're going to pour into the people to come. I ask that you would return it and give them double honor and double portion, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.